On the line with us today, Ryan Britt, author of Phasers on Stun, with a very familiar face on the cover. It's, it's well, it's we all know it's Spock. It's Leonard Nimoy uh, looking out at us with those ears. Um, now, you have been writing. Ryan, you, you wrote this book, Phasers on Stun. The, Star Trek is nothing new to you. I mean, you, you have written, I, I saw in the book, a sort of a back jacket there where they talk about the author. You have been writing about this show or these shows since 2010. So you're not tired of it yet, are you? No. Um, yeah, I got really lucky. I got into um, writing about science fiction in, in 2010 professionally, um, you know, which is something that I kind of uh, lucked into and then sort of got serious about. Um, and yeah, Star Trek, what's funny is there weren't, there wasn't any new Star Trek TV shows when I first uh, started writing about science fiction professionally. Um, so when the new shows started getting developed, I was really interested in covering them journalistically for various gigs that I have. And um, yeah. And then that kind of led to, uh, uh, you know, I wanted to do a follow-up to my essay collection uh, that was just about a lot of different science fiction things. And uh, I pitched a book about Star Trek and, uh, and my agent and my publisher were really excited about it. And here we are <laughs> now the, the title and that, and this was just a cursory thought that goes to my head when I'm reading, I thought, well, I know what, you know, I always got to ask you guys, the, the authors, you know, how you decided this or that uh, the phasers on stun. Well, well, so how come you didn't say beam me up Scotty? And then I read in there about the importance of the phasers on stun. You make a point of that in the book. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that, that like, yeah, go ahead, Steve. Sorry. Well, I was going to say that if you could explain that to, to the listeners, because it's a good point about Star Trek. Yeah, I think that Star Trek is funny because people are always like Star Trek is important because it's this, you know, uh, really progressive, philosophical, um, wonderful rumination on hope. And that's all true. But Star Trek was also an action adventure, you know, series, uh, mm-hmm. and 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 the and the, the films and the shows still are primarily uh, in that genre. So they came from the the genre of westerns and also from the sort of pulpy Buck Rogers, uh, you know, world. But uh, instead of having you know disintegrator ray guns like Buck Rogers uh, or you know lasers, they have uh, you know this tool or weapon that has a non lethal setting. And I always thought that that was really important. And so I like phasers on stun because it gives that sort of like sort of over the top hyperbolic silly vibe that Star Trek has um, that's so wonderful about it. But it's also a really um, positive message because it's like (laughs) when I interviewed Walter Koenig, who played Chekhov famously, who's wonderful. I got to talk to him for about an hour on the phone for this book. Uh, I told him that I wasn't sure about the title. And uh, he said, no, no, I love it. He's like, it means we don't have to kill each other in the end. Um, and I thought that was a really good point. Um, so, yes, have your, it. Did you have a yeah. backup title? I had a lot of titles, Steve. I mean, you know, like, <laughs> let me, I had, let me like, hear some of them. I had like I had I had like Spock rocks, um, you know, because I thought that, you know, I, I wanted to make the book really accessible and fun because I think that Star Trek has an unfair reputation, you know, for being stodgy or sort of inaccessible. And so um, I had a Spock lives. Uh, because I always liked um, that, you know, in the 70s, the conventions, the first conventions they had in New York were called Star Trek Lives with big exclamation points. Um, right. And I thought that was really um, great. Uh, so I, I, I had Star Trek, I had Spock Lives, um, I had Spock Rocks, 
Um, I think we had one that was just like go boldly, but that sounded a little bit too much like a uh, recruitment for, you know, like a, a self-help book maybe. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I think that we wanted, why, why not live long and prosper? Why not beam me up? Um, I think just like I'd seen all of that before, you know, in, yeah. in books. And so I thought, um, yeah. And, and they say the phrase, they say variations, uh, there was another uh, academic book called uh, Set Phasers to Sun. And I was like, ah, it's okay. Like, I like it when they say, I like actually, like, it tickles me now when I see an episode, an old episode, and they say it just the way that way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One of the things that comes across, and we're talking with Ryan Britt, author of Phasers on Stun. One of the things that comes across when reading is the importance uh, and and you know you you make a point of uh, defining a lot of the characters the 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 main characters and we can talk about some of those guys, but Leonard Nimoy uh, as Spock it, it sort of comes to the fore. He's on your cover. He he's a central figure in the movies. Uh, he got all the fan mail. You talked about that. He kind of set off uh, you know a reaction among some of his co stars. Uh, what was your reaction to Leonard Nimoy? Is is he given enough credit? Well, I think he is given enough credit. I think that for the, I think he's given enough credit within like the circles of people that know, you know what I mean? Like if mm -hmm. you know a lot about Star Trek, then you probably know that Leonard Nimoy uh, had a lot to do with the sort of care and creation of Spock. But if you only kind of know a little bit about Star Trek and you, you, you know, you don't, you're like kind of, maybe you came to it with the, uh, the JJ Abrams movies, you know, with Zachary Quinto's Spock. Or, you know, you're a new fan and you're watching Ethan Peck's uh, wonderful Spock on Strange New Worlds. You may not know. You may be like he was hired. I think what maybe the what isn't talked about enough is how, you know, Roddenberry pursued other people. <laughs> you know, Martin Landau was 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 pursued as mm -hmm. Spock. And I think that that's really interesting because, and you know, the, uh, one historian I talked to named Mark Cushman, who wrote these really detailed books called These Are the Voyages, he was like, you know, Roddenberry did want Martin Landau. And, you know, that may have worked. But it's tough to imagine, you know what I mean? And it's funny, of course, because Nimoy went to Mission Impossible after Martin Landau left. And Martin Landau went to do a sci-fi show called Space 1999. Uh, but, uh, I, I, you know, it's just yes, he gets the credit, but no matter how much he's praised, it's like the Beatles, right? Like, you know, it's like, are the Beatles overrated? It's like, maybe, but they still seem underrated to me. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's how I feel about Leonard Nimoy as Spock, because it's like, yes, and yet I feel like it's still, you know, the guy directed two Star Trek films and 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 co-wrote them, you know, and like The Voyage Home was, at the time, the most financially successful Star Trek film ever. And it was Nimoy's conception to direct and make that film the way it was. And, uh, you know, like that alone yeah. is, is, is just really just kind of makes you go, wow. Um, you know, and I want to interview. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, did it surprise? And I don't know if I should say Roddenberry on this or, or the producers or the network, but did the reaction to Spock surprise the folks that were running the station, the show? Oh, oh, is that kind of, oh, we anticipated that. I don't think that they could have anticipated it. You know what I mean? I think that, you know, and I think that the proof is that when you watch the first pilot, The Cage, uh, uh, which wasn't originally aired as The Cage and obviously didn't, wasn't what the show became. Um, Spock is not really, you know, he's not really the same Spock. He's kind of a, a, a side character. Um, and even in Where No Man Has Gone Before, the, the, the pilot that 
kind of retooled it and they brought in Shatner and even there Spock is, is, is a little bit, he's, sh- he's shouting more. He's a little bit different. Um, I, I don't think that they could have predicted it. I don't think that it was calculated. I think it's one of those things that just, it, you know, it was a combination of great writing and, and, um, and a great performer, um, you know, but there's this thing that he mentions about how one of the directors told him to say fascinating instead of being afraid of uh, an alien sphere in the Corbomite maneuver. And that is, I mean, what a, what a, what a good note. <laughs> That's a big note right there, you know, yeah. you know. That made a difference. Yeah. Uh, let's, let's talk about some of the other, we're talking, we talked with Ryan Britt, author of Phasers on Sun, a book about, well, not just, we, we were talking about the origins of Star Trek, how it started and all that, but all the many, one of the, the best parts of this book is you've got a, a you know, a, a source note at the back, which goes through all the shows, all the movies. And I don't think I was aware of how much material there is on Star Trek. It's, it's amazing. I mean, have you seen every show? Yeah. I mean, I've, I can confidently say I've seen every show. Um, wow. But part of that is I think that, you know, I started, you know, at, six or seven you know right um and i, I you know i interviewed sonequa martin green is a wonderful actress who's been the lead of star trek discovery since uh 2017 and uh, back in 2019 i interviewed her and she said something funny where she was like you know i feel like because i wasn't a huge fan as a kid i'm behind because she <laughs> you know she was like i keep wanting to see everything but she's like i realize it might be difficult because you know it's 800 hours or something yeah, you know right. and so that's a lot that's a lot i think law and order probably is the only tv franchise right that probably has it beat um maybe right you know but uh i can't think of another one but yeah is there I, anybody I, is there I anybody have. alive who's seen every law and order i guess i'm might sure be. there is i mean yeah uh i would love to meet that person but yeah oh, i think geez. that like i don't know if i've seen every episode more than once you know many many i have seen you know i've seen the entirety of the original series right a lot <laughs> you know a lot um, well, of course it's been on the air since uh it left the air I mean, yeah, I guess that's right. That's, that's right. It. That's a great way of putting it. Yeah, I love yeah. that. Yeah. Um, well, let's talk about another character on the show that that really, uh, you know, it, I found enlightening because I did not know all this. And that's uh, Nichelle Nichols, who played Uhura, uh, the communications officer. Um, she really went on to something big. I mean, uh, and that was, uh, you know, I guess, as you say, those folks that are close to Star Trek know all that. But those of us that are just sort of, per, you know, on the periphery uh, really give, got to give her a lot of credit. Yeah, I mean, I think that the thing that blew my mind when I was interviewing this documentarian named Todd Thompson, who did this documentary that came out a year, year or so ago called A Woman in Motion, was that, you know, the, the little historical nugget that usually gets trotted out is, oh, Trekkies wrote Gerald Ford and made him change the name of the space shuttle to Enterprise. And that's cool. But what people don't talk about as much is that Nichelle Nichols recruited the first women and black astronauts to the space program. Uh, You know, that is huge. You know, like, uh, you know, Sally Ride and Ron McNair may not have been in NASA if not for Nichelle Nichols efforts and the fact that she underwent um, astronaut training in the simulators that she could have landed the space shuttle. You know, William Shatner just went to space for real. Um, but it's not like he could fly it, you know, Nichelle could have flown a space shuttle. <laughs> and I think, I think that's pretty, 
that's pretty interesting. I just think that what what I tried to do with my book there is all those all those facts are out there, right? I just tried to like say, okay, but let that sink in. You know, it would be like uh, if Julia Louis Dreyfus got elected vice president for real, for real, yeah. You know, like <laughs> you know, I almost wondered reading the what you did, uh, what you had in there on Michelle, if that wouldn't be a movie itself. Well, because, like I said, yeah, maybe. I mean, yeah, it's a yeah. great documentary called Women in Motion. So I have to give Todd Thompson some credit there, which you know, in the book I do. But um, a film. When was yeah, that out? When was uh, Woman in out, Motion? Came out two years ago. Okay. Uh, in 2020, but then they released it on Paramount Plus last year. Okay. Um, it's yeah, it's new, but it's it's new is the point. And I remember talking to Todd about this and saying, why is this not even in her own memoir? She kind of downplays it. Michelle's memoir, Beyond Uhura, mm-hmm. she doesn't <laughs> play it up that much. It's really strange. Um, yeah. Well, now we're talking with Ryan Britt about Star Trek and all that's followed. Have you know as you go through these series, and obviously listeners. You know, and it depends on their age and their interests. Uh, we'll pick up on. Oh, I saw the movies. You know, the the the, the more recent ones. Oh, or I I only saw the original series and the repeats are there. And you have everything in between. You, uh, in as someone who's seen all of it, what do you like? Are there specific characters or shows that that maybe should be mentioned for people to go take a look at? That's a great question, Steve. I mean, so I think that the you know the main thesis of the book, if it's not clear by now, is that the radical change within this franchise is kind of staggering, and sort of you can't compare it to literally anything else um, in terms of uh, narrative art form that happens in the visual medium. Um, I think that there are probably episodes of the original series in the Next Generation that are probably just not discussed as much as they should be simply because um, they're not as famous. But I'll say this, you know what I have been watching a lot of lately, and I talk about in my book a little bit that I think people might want to revisit is the 1973 animated series. And I'm watching that because I have a five-year-old. Oh, good. (laughs) (laughs) And, And the thing is, is she is obsessed with Tribbles. And so her first Tribble episode was not the trouble with Tribbles, but instead the, the animated sequel more Tribbles, more Troubles, in which the Tribbles are pink. Um, and, you know, and it was written by David Gerald, who wrote the original episode. And a lot of the episodes were written by, you know, big sci-fi writers. Um, so I don't know. I've been, that's one that I I didn't watch as much when I was younger. And I'm watching more of now because it's the safest one for my kid. And um, I just love it. <laughs> it's just great. You know, so I would say that I would say that I would say that. And then I think the one that's sort of flying under the radar right now is Lower Decks, which is the animated comedy that's on Paramount Plus. And people are like, oh, it's animated. It's it's not serious. And it's like, but it's really got a lot of heart. Um, and those actors, I have a lot of uh, love um, for the franchise. And there's a lot of great, really great jokes that if you're a Star Trek fan, you're like, wow, that is a great joke. Um, so I, those, those, I, I, that's what I would say off the off my head. A couple of things <clears throat> we're talking with Ryan Britt. Uh, Phasers on Stun is his book, All Things Star Trek. And did you like Galaxy Quest? Oh, of course. Yeah, you know, I debated about putting something about Ga- Galaxy Quest in the not kind of the '90s chapters uh, in the second half of the or the middle of the book, I guess. It just didn't make sense, you know what I mean? Because I feel like that there wasn't something. But yeah, you know, if I ever do a paperback uh, second edition, which I may do at some point because there were you know, so much more. Star yeah, I was going to say, you got to update the thing all the time. Yeah, yeah. I think that, uh, that that it might be fun to do more of the 
talking about the parodies. But yeah, I mean, I loved Galaxy Quest. I interviewed the director of Galaxy Quest uh, a couple of years ago, uh, uh, Dean Parise. Pariso. Ah, uh, fix that in. Fix that in. Uh, in post. Yeah, sure. Uh, 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 Dean Pariso. Yeah, uh, directed a Bill and Ted as well. Um, uh, the new Bill and Ted. Uh, oh yeah. 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 Great film. And I think that there's an anecdote from one of the next generation. Uh, I think it might be from the Galaxy Quest documentary in which Brent Spiner, who played Data on The Next Generation, encouraged Patrick Stewart to go see Galaxy Quest because Patrick Stewart wasn't going to see it because he was like, that they're making fun of us. And Patrick Stewart hated that. He hated <laughs> when people were making fun of Star Trek, which is how, how sweet is that? Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, like. Patrick Stewart's such a nice person. He's so he's so nice. Um, but yeah, that um but, but then they really saw, weren't he, making fun of it. No, no, and, then he so Brent Spiner was like, no, 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 you gotta see it. And then yeah, he, yeah. He, he loved it. Uh, because it's so yeah, I love Galaxy Quest. Sigourney Weaver in that is hilarious. Oh my god. Yeah, it's she's great. so funny. Uh, you know, you talk about the triples, and by the way, your five-year-old daughter, is that the same uh, child that Shatner tried to uh, help you with when you were on the phone with it him? It is my one and only child. <laughs> yes it is You've yeah she's, very, she's my one very amusing uh sort of story there when you're on the phone with shatner and the baby's crying and shatner's trying to tell you what to do i mean it's the kind of thing you can only really put in a book you know what i mean because at the time I, I i kind of did the interview for a publication i write for called inverse and you know you can't really put put that in a and so then i was i was i was actually had a lot of different ideas for a prologue when i talked to my editor I started telling her the story of him being like, that's the cry of hunger. She's like, you have to put that in the book. <laughs> He's like, that's so you funny. You gotta put that in. Uh, so Jill Schwartzman, my editor, yeah, was sort of like, this is this is the way the book should begin. Oh, that's uh, great. Yeah. Um, no, I was gonna say the trouble with tribbles. Did you did Al Cap, the cartoonist, raise an issue with the Star Trek people? Because he had a tribbles type thing years before in a comic strip. And I didn't know he was the kind of cantankerous sort, certainly later in life, that he might have said, hey, are you stealing my idea there or something? Did the, that ever turn up? The only almost lawsuit that I'm aware of with The Trouble with Tribbles was Robert Heinlein, the science fiction writer, because uh -huh. Robert Heinlein had a short story called The Rolling Stones, um, unrelated to the wonderful rock band um, that was about sort of these flying fuzzy creatures that reproduced in, in space. Um, and he like almost sued them. Uh -huh. uh, but it, it, you know, David Gerald was kind of this young, I, I think it was okay. I mean, it was the, there's, so the answer is, I don't think so. Um, but you know, they had a, they did have a fact checker and a legal department on the original Star Trek to run by all of those things and do research um at the top of my head i don't remember the name of the research firm they had but it was a very famous research firm that they used to make sure you know so they would find like oh we can't use the name of this planet um you know because there's a planet <laughs> but but you know i mean vulcan is not a word that comes from star trek obviously it comes from mythology but you know right. there had been a planet vulcan in doctor who like a year before um Star Trek and it was just like they were like oh, whatever you know so I don't know I don't think I don't think they worried about that stuff too much <laughs> yeah um, really when we're on this uh five-year kick to explore the challenges of space here um yeah we, we, we've got to roll out of here Ryan but well, one last thing now that you've got the book out there and you're explaining Star Trek to and all the variations and all that and giving people ideas about it 
what what do you what do you suggest for somebody who who takes all this in and says, where do I start? Do you go back to the original series or or do you have another thought? My my thought is that you could do it a, a few different ways. Is if you were watching the new shows, you could start with like the first episode of Strange New Worlds that like just came out, right? Like wow. five, four weeks ago. You could start there if you wanted because it kind of tells you everything you need to know. But if you wanted to start with the original series, I I would say watch the Corbomite maneuver, which is not technically the first episode listed on any of the streaming services, but it was the first regular episode that they filmed. It wasn't the first or second pilot, but it was the first regular episode they filmed, which means Uhura's in the episode, which means Bones is in the episode. And, and I'll tell you why that you should watch that one first, is that the episode begins with Spock saying something is fascinating. Um, and then does a, after Kirk is not even in the teaser, it does the voiceover where no man has gone before. And then it cuts to Kirk has is no shirt in sick bay, working out. Bones is giving him a physical and Bones says, well, what am I, a doctor or a moon shuttle conductor? And slaps the table. <laughs> and then Kirk walks through the halls with his boots slung over his shirtless form to go figure out what's going on. And I don't know if it gets any cooler than that. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I think that if you're going to watch, if you want to know what the original series are, the Corbomite maneuver is amazing. And it's, you know, and then the whole episode is like this big alien that's trying to mess with them. And then Kirk like outwits them. And then there's a twist of what the alien really is. <laughs> and it was a test the whole time. What a great episode. So I would say that, but yeah, if you wanted to, so start at the, with the Corbomite maneuver, or, you know, if you wanted to start with the new shows, the first episode of strange new worlds is dynamite. Well, there you go. We got Ryan Brett, author of Faces on Stun, helping you sort through 800 hours of Star Trek and, and, and counting. Uh, and counting. Star Trek. <laughs> Ryan, we wish you the best. Um, thank you so much for your time. And uh, hey, long live and prosper or, or whatever that line is. I think I blew it. But anyway. Thanks, Steve. <laughs> Take care. Bye-bye.